At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Uh, true, the Steelers are in a transition state right now. I know the word rebuild is not one that's used often there in Pittsburgh. Uh, but when you make a change like this one, and you know your future is a young quarterback, and a quarterback who's the veteran is not one that's been consistent with his play, you know, this is kind of, I think, a word that probably people don't want to hear, which is rebuilding. Former Steeler Cordell Stewart on the Pittsburgh CityCast. You're going to hear from him later. Tim Benz here now, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. We talk baseball first. Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook will be your home for same-game parlay bets and bets in all professional baseball games. Create your ideal same-game parlay of over three legs and receive up to 50% of a profit boost. That's right, get a 50% profit boost when you place a qualifying same-game parlay wager this week only. Head over to BetRivers.com or download the BetRivers Sportsbook app for more details presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I only got one-third of my three-leg in-game parlay. Madison Bumgarner, four and a half Ks. He went over that for the Diamondbacks against the Pirates, but Mitch Keller didn't. And the Pirates ended up beating the D-backs last night by a final score of 6-4. to four. So that was a bummer from a gambling perspective, but it was a fun game to watch. Lots of movement on the bases, lots of extra base hits and steals. Mass confusion in the ninth inning. I still don't know what the umpires were looking at on that one, but... 
a really fun, entertaining baseball game. I thought Greg Brown and Bob Walk hit it on the head when they said it felt like the game was being played in the 1980s in St. Louis. That's exactly the way that it felt. Also, probably because no one had a cell phone on the field for a change, so it really did feel like a flashback to the 80s. Today, it's Buckos and Diamondbacks again at 340. You got to like Arizona here, right? Merrill Kelly at 10 and 5 with a 286 ERA versus JT Brubaker, who's given up 28 hits in his last three outings. He has not won a start since June 30th. Brubaker is 11th in the NL and hits allowed at 121. Arizona minus 182. I'm surprised it's that low. I like him. I'll take him. There is an MLB odds boost bet today at Bet Rivers. Zach Greinke boosted plus 250 to go over four and a half strikeouts. He has done that just twice since May 29th. And the White Sox are seventh best when it comes to avoiding strikeouts as a team. So how about this for an over three-leg in-game parlay at plus 850? White Sox to win. Dylan Cease below seven and a half strikeouts. Granke below four and a half strikeouts. Royals under two and a half runs. I like Cease and the White Sox to win. Why him under the strikeouts? I've lost two times in a row going over on his strikeout totals. He's tailing off in that regard. Cease hasn't gone above seven and a half strikeouts in his last four starts. And the Royals are eighth in avoiding strikeouts right behind the White Sox. So keep that in mind. Quintana came through for me last night for the Cardinals against the Rockies. As he continues to impress in St. Louis. The Cardinals acquired the former Pirates pitcher in a trade on August the 1st. In his first start, the lefty helped the Cards beat the Chicago Cubs 7-2 by twirling a six-inning, one-hit gem. Only yielded one run on a solo homer. On Wednesday, his second start yesterday, not quite as clean, but he was effective giving about two earned runs in six innings against the Rockies. He gave up seven hits and two walks, but got the win as the Cardinals posted a 9-5 victory. Pujols and Arenado homered yesterday. Arenado plus 285 to homer today. Uh, he's 15 for 37 with five home runs and 12 RBI over the last 10 games. That might be a smart bet at Coors. Paul Goldschmidt has it homered in six days. He's due. He's at plus 275. Cardinals are minus 110 to win on the road. It's Dakota Hudson and Garen Marquez at Coors Field, both with ERAs above four. Forget the winner. Have fun with the total. Minus 115 to go over 12. Do it. Enjoy it. Take it in. The Dodgers came through for me last night against the Twins as well, but the Marlins let me down. Alcantara pitching against the Phillies, and he ended up taking the loss, so I took the loss as well with him. And how about the Astros? A minus 315 favorite with Verlander pitching against the Rangers, and they lost to Texas. Wow. Verlander, six innings pitched, five hits, three runs, uh, a walk, and seven strikeouts. They are minus 265 with Frember Valdez at 10-4 and and a 287 ERA. Yeah, I'm taking the Astros to bounce back against Cole Raggins, who pitched five innings of shutout ball in his debut last time out, but I say the Rangers uh, aren't able to get him a win here against the Astros, and the Astros get to him early. All right, football news. Disgruntled Chicago Bears linebacker Roquan Smith has been removed from the pup list. It's unclear if that's a sign of progress in negotiations on a new contract or a step towards greasing the wheels for a trade out of town. Steelers fans and bloggers are, of course, salivating at that notion. Why not? 
as a player who's been a second-team All-Pro each of the last two years. He'd be a massive upgrade over Devin Bush or Robert Spillane next to Miles Jack in the Steelers' 3-4 defense. Smith is on the last year of his rookie contract. He has requested a trade. Any team giving up assets to acquire him better be prepared to pay big money. Speculation is that he may ask for upwards of $100 million. The Steelers only have $9.6 million in cap space as of now, according to OverTheCap.com. And they'd have to piece together a whopper of a trade package. But if they don't, who might? Well, CBSSports.com lists AFC North rival Baltimore as the top landing spot. Uh, this is what Tyler Sullivan wrote at CBS. Josh Bynes, 32, currently in line to be the team's starting middle linebacker after starting 12 games for the team last year and re-signing with the club this offseason. Smith not only would be an instant upgrade, but he'd be an answer for them for the foreseeable future as well. As an aside, Smith could also pick up the mantle left by Ray Lewis to be Baltimore's next great middle linebacker. Well, that said, Baltimore has even less cap room at $8.2 million than the Steelers do. CBS also lists New England as third and Dallas as fifth. So Steelers fans would hate to see Smith go to any of those three teams, I'm sure. But most of all, the Ravens. The thought of Smith playing next to Penn State product Micah Parsons is absolutely frightening. The Cowboys have roughly $21 million in cap space, third most in the NFL. Smith is plus 6,600 to win Defensive Player of the Year. Parsons is my choice at plus 900 behind Miles Garrett at plus 650. T.J. Watt at plus 700 and Aaron Donald at plus 700 as well. Also, former Steelers quarterback Artie Burns slated to come back to Pittsburgh Saturday. He now plays with the Seahawks. They are the opponent for the Steelers in the first preseason game of the year at Acrisure Stadium. Burns had been getting starters reps in Seattle, but he suffered an injured groin Tuesday and now is a question mark for his return. Burns is one of three banged-up corners for Seattle. Sidney Jones uh, is another one. John Reed is another one. The Hawks signed Baylor product Jamison Houston to build up the depth chart. Burns had been getting good reviews from the Seattle coaching staff in training camp, but I know in Pittsburgh we're taking that with a massive grain of salt. I still love the under 36.5 in Saturday's game. It should probably be even more of a noteworthy play now because Artie Burns isn't in there, so the Steelers can't burn him, which is what I fully anticipated when I realized he was on the Seahawks and potentially coming back to Acrisure Stadium. All right, uh, when we come back, we will talk with Cordell Stewart, the former Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback who now has a podcast venture of his own on the Believe platform. It's called On the Edge with Slash. We'll discuss that with him. We'll get into some memories of his days with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll get his outlook on the AFC North, and he'll talk to us about a three-quarterback battle for the starting job. Cordell went through that once. We'll get his perspective when we return right here in the Pittsburgh CityCast, and it is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Bet Rivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21 gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. All right, back at the Pittsburgh City Cast. I forgot to mention before we went to break when we were talking about Roquan Smith, the Bears 
their over-under win total right now. If you want to go over 5.5, it's at minus 167. The under is at plus 135. Over 6.5 is at plus 135. The under is at 165. So a big gap there. The over-under at around 6 wins for the Bears. That's where the gap is, and I, I think that's about right. Uh, my hunch is to say under if Roquan Smith leaves and over if he stays. The predicted exact order of finish for the Bears is fourth at minus 106. If they get up to third and you say that they can finish ahead of the Lions, for instance, that comes back at plus 210. I like that bet. I'm not as on board with the Lions making this big leap as everybody else is. I'm not falling in love with the whole hard knocks thing. So I'll take the Bears. In fact, I think that's a pretty good-looking bet right now. The exact order finished to be third at plus 210. So they come in behind the Packers and the Vikings. Um, In fact, I wouldn't rule out going up to second, plus 460, uh, before I would go back down to fourth, to be quite honest with you. I'm just not buying entirely in on the hype surrounding the Lions to make a significant leap. Uh, you can bet on the Bears to have an 0-17 record at plus 6,600. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that bad. I don't think it's going to be that bad for any team in the NFL. Although at times, if you looked at the Steelers' first-team offense with Mitch Trubisky at the helm, you might think different. Yesterday was one of those days for Mitch. Yeah, it's been a struggle. And I have to use the phrase first-team offense with air quotes because he really hasn't had the full first team out there at all. Any specific day in training camp, he hasn't had the entire first team out there to throw to. If you count Najee Harris, Pat Fryermuth, and Deontay Johnson with Chase Claypool as the wide receivers. And, of course, George Pickens is the third wide receiver who's going to end this season as the first wide receiver you watch. In fact, there was one trade rumor that I saw. Joe Starkey in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette cited somebody. I can't remember who it was. Fantasy guy, if I remember right. But he cited somebody as saying Claypool and picks to Chicago for Roquan Smith. I would do that and do it quickly. Uh, okay, let's get to Cordell Stewart. The former Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback has a new podcast venture. It's called On the Edge with Cordell. It's distributed by the Believe platform. You can get it at Apple Podcasts. You can get it at iHeartRadio. You can get it on Spotify and Stitcher as well. Uh, good luck to Cordell in that capacity. We talked to him about a number of different issues, including what it was like to go through a quarterback derby at the start of a season where three quarterbacks were vying for one job. And back in 1996, that was him, Jim Miller, and Mike Tomczak. Of course, Tomczak ended up being the quarterback for the Steelers for most of the year, but Miller won the job out of camp, and he kept his starting job for all of two-and-a-half quarters. Before he's benched for Tom Zach, but Cordell talked about it from his vantage point and how that actually helped him moving forward until 1997. Here's a portion of our interview, which you can hear in its entirety at Breakfast with Ben's at Trib Live. What was that training camp like? Because correct me if I'm wrong, it was pretty early either into camp or the preseason when Coach Cower went to you and said, we're just going to have these two battle it out and keep you as slash for the time being, right? And by these two, I, I meant Tom, a- Zach, and Jim Miller, by the way. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, but- yeah, I, I got you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah. Um, still had a good preseason at quarterback. Um, 
but it was one where it's like you have a, a, a you're the it's somewhat of a, a conundrum, right? You got this guy that's been on the field last season, a lot of great plays, came and had a much better camp in '96, but yet you got Jim Miller on the roster as a quarterback full time, and you got Mike Tomzak on the roster as full time quarterbacks. You need to have three. So for sure, you knew if you're doing a numbers game that I worst case scenario would be the third quarterback, but yet I still can do the slash role. Mm -hmm. But we need to check out these two guys that's solely here to play quarterback. We need to see how do we do the shuffling, you know, of of the gods, if you will, of making sure we're going to keep either one of these two and maybe have a youngster come in or or keep them both. And uh, I think we end up keeping both, right? Um, Yeah. We kept Jim. We kept Jim and we kept Mike. Because Jim started the first game against Jacksonville and got replaced in the third quarter, and then Mike went the rest of the way, and you guys were like 10 and 6 and and won the the division. That's right. That's right. We went 10 and 6, won a division, and lost in that fog bowl (laughs) out there against Against New England. Against New England and Foxborough. Yeah, the Foxborough, and that was was pretty – treacherous and you had a bunch of good plays as i recall they really used you well at three rivers against the colts in the first playoff game right you kind of did a lot of slash stuff in that one well let's just be transparent on how we were used that year so that year in 96 mike jim started out as you alluded to and got replaced by mike and then as time progressed i started getting reps in the red zone and some short yardage and goal line uh situations um in open field short yardage of course and then in the red zone some plays but on the goal line a lot uh mike as lebron kirkland would always crack jokes on me on he said man mike tomzak will start from the minus one yard line and get us on the five and then you go in and score that ain't fair to mike so you know lebron kirkland (laughs) would always you know give me the problems and issues about you know that but it worked you know it helped us get to the playoffs again that year uh, but that that was another year for for me when it came to the maturation process. Um, I did not mind personally playing the role as slash because it gave me an opportunity instead of sitting on the bench doing nothing but writing and talking, and my body getting out of shape, if you will. Um, it gave me the opportunity to hear the plays as receiver and coming in in 96 and a quarterback in 95 and 96 uh, to hear those plays uh, from Ron Earhart to then Chan Gailey, because Chan Gailey was on the roster even then in 95 coaching the receiver. So I had a chance to be with Chan Gailey for three years, truthfully, as far as um, hearing his voice and being around him. But Ron Earhart was uh, the coordinator in 95. But to your, to your question, in conversation, I had a chance to hear those plays, right, over and over and getting those reps to where in 97 when I played full-time, even though there were a lot of turnovers, especially in the first half of, of a few of those games, there was enough confidence to be in, in my in myself and what we were doing to where we were able to come back from being down 14 nothing against New England on the road uh, to, to, to win that game. Um to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, to going on the road to play against a Baltimore Ravens team, throwing three picks in the first half, being down by 14 again, to 
Thorman back to win that game with a with a finishing run at the very end of that game after hurting my quad playing against the Houston Oilers the week prior. Uh, you saw me gimping on that one run. I think it was 74 yards or so. Uh, so, you know, I didn't mind for myself personally, psychologically, to do play that role. Um, the powers that be had to make the decision on who was going to be the starter. And, you know, uh, leading up to, you know, that 96 year, that's how Coach Cower and the coaching staff decided to do it, where, you know, with Cordell being slash, we could utilize some of those talents to keep defenses honest on what it was they were trying to do against us where we had them on their heels and heels and we're on our toes moving forward because they didn't know what we were going to do. So there was, there was some huge pluses in, in being able to add that. to the Yeah. Offense. Cause, cause you know, I, I was watching that from afar, you know, when I was really early in my career, when I was in Salt Lake city in Columbus, before I started working in Pittsburgh and I was a Steeler fan growing up. So I think your rookie year when you went to the Super Bowl against Dallas, I was watching that when I was in college. And I saw your ascent from a fan's perspective to a guy that was covering the game on the outside of Pittsburgh. And I thought the trajectory was such that, okay, the the slash stuff made the Steelers and largely the NFL realize what could be done with a quarterback who had athleticism where you could meld the skills of throwing and everything else. And in a weird way, I thought it was rediscovered again in 01. That was my first year on the beat covering the team when Malarkey was your coordinator. And I think you were fifth in the MVP balloting that year and made the Pro Bowl. Um, yep. What, what happened in between? What, what, to what do you attribute the biggest problem in 98, 99, and 2000 where it kind of went askew before the Steelers got it back on the rails for that first year at Heinz Field? Well, in 98, you know, you lose your favorite receiver in Yancey Pigpen. I loved all my other guys, but that was my guy. Uh, my play caller and Chan Gailey left. You know, Ray Sherman came in and, you know, it was it was tough sledding. You know, it was just my second year starting as a, as a QB. And I didn't have my greatest year uh, in 1998, um, to be honest. Uh, too many mistakes. Good plays, but inconsistent when it comes to being efficient and as effective as – uh, I would have liked to have been personally. This has nothing. This is bigger than anything else because if based on my expectations, um, it wasn't a good, I think we went six and 10, something mm-hmm, like that. Yeah. So from AFC championship to six and 10, um, is it a part of the game? We could talk about sure all day long, but being a competitor in expectations, um, you know, it, it did work out uh, that season. Uh, we lost a lot and, you know, you go through transitions, you know, uh, People like to see you point fingers and blame and all that. And I'm not going to do that. I'm just going as a player and as a coach, coaching high school and and seeing how this thing operates from afar. A lot of transition, you know, a lot of change. You know, that can, you know, that can uh, that can muddy the waters at times. But you know, if you're strong enough, you, know, you can persevere. You can go through that and and come out on the other side. And then '99, Kevin Gilbride, he comes in with a run and shoot style offense. Um, wanting to do what he was doing when he was with the Houston Oilers, you know, wanting to give the the receiver the option when the quarterback sees it a certain way and the receiver sees it a different way. And it's like, you're not on the same page, but then, you know, cause in that year, I think in 99, when I was a starter, we were five and six. And when I was at the start, I think we were one and four, something like that. If I can remember correctly. And then 2000, uh, we try to go with, I think King Graham, 
uh, that year. And uh, that that was – then we ended up going 9-7 and seven that season because uh, we went from trying to be a run-and-shoot style offense to we went to going back to the personnel that we had. You know, mm-hmm. we had Jerome Bettis. We had Heinz Ward. You know, we was a defense first, O-line control it, run the ball, quarterback don't screw it up as opposed to just trying to sling it around. And we ended up finding our way. And then we went 9-7 and seven that season. I think we needed Minnesota to beat Indianapolis Colts. And that last game for us to make the playoffs, but the Colts end up winning that game. Yeah. Minnesota lost, and then we didn't make the playoffs. So we were right there knocking on the door. And then 2001, Mike Malarkey, who was the tight ends coach, I think dating back to '96 or '97, sounds about right. In. Yeah, yep, he came in and he was under Chan Gailey, uh, and then he identified what we did do well in '97. Some of the stuff we did do well in 98, a lot of the stuff we did do well in 99, 2000, because he was still on the staff, and implementing that to the 2001 season. That ended up being, I think, my best season of my career there in Pittsburgh, I think exceeding going over 60 to 61% completion percentage, which was the best in the organization's history as a quarterback that season. Um, and uh, And then... You know, the rest of then we end up making it to the AFC Championship game, MVP on the team to third on the MVP ballot throughout the National Football League. And, uh, you know, it went from there and, well, you know, it. You know, I, 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 see, I see now, and I don't know if you feel the same way. You said you did some high school coaching, um, but I see now the blending of talents from coaches at the lower ranks so much earlier in the developmental process where. If you've got a guy who's a great raw athlete, you don't just have that quarterback go out and run the ball. You teach him how to throw, too. And then by the time they get to the NFL, I feel like there's more of a willingness to give athletic quarterbacks who primarily might be great athletes before they're throwers a chance to be able to throw, too. And like you you see guys like Josh Allen who are great athletes but have also become great quarterbacks. You see guys like Patrick Mahomes who have great feet but can diagnose a defense and throw the hell out of the ball too. You know, like it it just seems like I think from the developmental process earlier, quarterbacks are being less pigeonholed. And I think that has helped things. Do you see it that way too? 100%. And and to me, it's not the players. Just make sure we, we, we categorize this properly to me as a former coach in high school, to me, sometimes it's the inability of coaches psychologically to process that this talent can work, but we have to maybe put in a little more time because you're not going to ask Peyton Manning to do what Kyler Murray does. So you're not going to build a system around Peyton Manning to do that. But if you can take this system, a la Mike Malarkey, 2001 a la Chan Gailey in 97, even going back when he was in Denver with John Elway, mm-hmm. you allow his ability to get him throwing the football as opposed to trying to get him to throw the football to to damper his ability because his ability, Kyler Murray, winning, going 43-0 and in Texas as a high school quarterback to then winning a Heisman in college to now in the National Football League, being able to do the same – but trying to find a way to implement that, implement that style into the ways of the National Football League. If a coach 
can identify that properly, then you can find ways to build the pieces around him as you do for a pocket passer to allow his talents to catapult into winning. Prime example, Steve Young. He was he was a uh, he was running wild and loose when he was in Tampa. Got his chance to go to USFL. Most importantly, got with Bill Walsh. They didn't change him. They just made him more aware and fit that West Coast style offense into what he did, as opposed to what Joe Montana was doing. And they didn't stop him from becoming aware of a yellow jacket by being from a passer rating standpoint, one of the most efficient quarterbacks to ever play the game. And if you can find that coach that's capable of identifying the strengths of this player to allow him to be what he is and don't condemn because back when I was playing, you know, I can go out and throw two touchdowns and an interception, but they'll forget about the two rushing or three rushing touchdowns that I put on the board, but they're more or less, docking the passing portion but yet the running was was also a part of it yeah so I, you can't you, you understand what i'm yeah, coming no, from? So you I can't do. exclude you can't exclude it nowadays nowadays you have to identify that talent with the legs and allowing the game to help that player identify where he needs to throw the football because not all passing quarterbacks are as effective and as efficient all the time as we may like to say they are, because that's all they do. Yeah, right? I, I don't know if so, I want to like blame it on the NFL for being too stodgy and traditional back in the 90s. I'm sure that was a part of it. I can't blame it entirely on race, because you know we've talked about a ton of white quarterbacks who have been in similar situations here, too, with Steve Young and Andrew Luck and Josh Allen. The biggest thing I think it is, Cordell, like when I look back at it, is you were a very successful quarterback running and throwing at Colorado. I saw you in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, like you you won a lot of games. I saw you in the big house at Michigan. I wonder if it's more just a snobbery sort of almost on the NFL's part to not want to admit that maybe college was on to something before they were back then. You know, we can say what it's not for the, for the sake of not being controversial, to not speaking the facts, not speaking the truth. But if you just go down the list of players that had the ability uh, to be really good in this league, if given the chance to key, this is the key, make those mistakes. See, quarterbacks who are the traditional quarterbacks fit the bill of the Dan Marinos, the Jim Kellys, uh, 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 the, 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 the Tom Brady's to the Peyton Manning's. They fit the bill to be able to say, we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. We just have to build it around him. Eli Manning, he wins two Super Bowl, but he has a 500 career record as a quarterback. In the years he didn't win a Super Bowl, does that look like a starter to you at times, right? right. So we can, we, can, we can raise that conversation, but the reality of this is, whether you want to call it black or white or whatever the NFL, I just say the NFL from an owner standpoint, most important, not the owners, but even the scouting departments, they couldn't identify that ability to be a quarterback so much so that they had to change it. So they didn't try to change Tim Tebow until after the fact. And Tim Tebow, when watching him play, he didn't do good till the last five minutes of games, but they still praised him in Denver. Like it was the, this has been going on Tim forever. This going back to Randall Cunningham and before him, 
So this is, this is, it's subjective. All right, let's just use the word subjective. For the sake of conversation and keeping it clean and not going too far left or too far right, let's just say it's subjective, all right? Let's just call it subjective and saying it's, the beauty of it is in the eye of the beholder. You cannot sit here and tell me for one second that a, that a Jeff Blake to who else was a mobile quarterback in that time? Even Steve, Steve Young, his stuff was bad in Tampa. Tampa was just bad. I, I'm sorry. It was, yeah, well, it's I'm pretty, sorry. It was, just, it was pretty rough it was at times for Jeff in Cincinnati, too, as I recall. Right, right. Yeah, it was tough in Cincinnati for him, too. And, and then you get the, 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 the Michael Vicks that comes into Atlanta into this environment where they praise it to the 10th mm-hmm. degree. But it wasn't done. It was done only when we won, if you will, in Pittsburgh to where they would bring a Kent Graham in. Tim, come on now. Stop it. They would bring Kent Graham. Love him to death. Love him to death. Love him to death. This is this is not an anger conversation. This is me having an out-of-body experience and looking back on it from a coach's standpoint and also, and, and, you know, who's going to do my show because this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going with it. Yeah. Is you mean to tell me that was okay? No, it wasn't okay. I was, I was, I won 64% of my games in that city, 48 and 31, including playoffs. That's 64% in a short window where, you know, Ben had 160 something and, and Terry had may have had 119 or something like that. And I've had 48. And I left Pittsburgh 64% winning percentage. And so, however, you add it up. All I know is the game today is not like it once was. I'm not throwing. I I choose to not be simple to throw race into it. I choose to be. I choose to go the higher road and say I know that wasn't the case. I'm not going to believe it because I don't want to. Because the Rooney family gave me a chance and Coach Kyrie did too. Now, to make those mistakes and have to see the changing of the guys at that position to what we changed it to makes me wonder, was it, was I accepted to be a quarterback because of what I did as a receiver? See, so now it's the juggling act, right? Tim, like you even trying to process, right? It's a juggling act. No, I, I get what you're saying. Cause, cause I, I really, I'm seizing on what you said about making the mistakes because I get where you're coming from in the sense that if a quarterback who is a pure pocket passing quarterback throws an interception, the inclination is to say, well, that was just a bad ball. If the athletic quarterback stays in the pocket, throws the exact same pass, and it's intercepted, well, that was a bad decision, right? There you go. Now you're going somewhere. You, you're working now. We cooking. What you got on your stove over there? What do you, have on your stove? <laughs> what are you cooking? <laughs> what are you cooking over there, brother? Am I, am I right on that? Is that kind of what you're saying? It's like there's there's a, pre, a predisposed belief that the quarterback yes. who's the pocket quarterback who made the bad throw, the next one's going to be better. But the predisposed Come disposition on. is that the mobile quarterback who made the bad throw next time would be better served just running it, and we shouldn't have him throw it anymore. Come on. Like, Come on, man. Come on. You, you see the passes. Great pass. Receivers should have made a better effort to catch it. If the athletic guy threw it, if he just puts it on upfield shoulder, he probably come on. Seriously, like I'm watching, I'm listening, and I'm and I'm watching not to see anything, but it's just sometimes I'm looking at it and I turn the volume down, or I'm just watching as a as a spectator and a former player. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That receiver couldn't have caught that ball if he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Hey, what you mean, great throw? you know, great, or, or give more of the credit to the catch than the throw. No, turn the volume down and watch it. 
You know, that one pass, if you get a chance on your free time, go back to 97 in Foxborough. Fourth and seven late in the game. We're down by a touchdown. I think we're down by eight. Actually. You're talking about the regular season? You're not talking about the Fog Bowl. You're talking about the regular season game? Regular season in 97, okay. not 96. Okay. You're talking 96 yeah, ball, okay, bowl. I'm okay. talking regular season game. And you watch that play and listen to the commentary, but then turn it down and watch it. There was only one place that ball could have been thrown. But if you listen to it's a wobbly ball. Well, it's an incomplete pass. And then all of a sudden they come back, oh, no. It's a great catch. It's a reason he's going to the Pro Bowl. I'm like, come on, dude. I couldn't drive nowhere else. Like, give me some love. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm in my feelings over here. <laughs> so last thing then, last thing then, Cordell, because I got I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. I, I'm sure you're not yeah. following it, you know, top to bottom, and you know, stern to bow or anything. But what, what do you make of where the Steelers are with their quarterback situation now with Trubisky and uh, Pickett and Mason Rudolph? Yeah. Um... You know, Mitchell Trubisky obviously is is the veteran of three and Pickett. Obviously, you guys got him from right next door at the facility. Um, and from my understanding, he had a good run there at Pitt, uh, put up some pretty good numbers. Uh, the Steelers are in a transition state right now. Um, Ben's been there for a long time, put his stamp uh, heavily into that city and, and, and how how it is to be a tough quarterback and in that city to winning championships, going to, you know, winning two and going to a third, losing to uh, the Green Bay Packers, who who was a very good team, but Steelers was really good that year too. But, um, you know, it, it's, 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 I know the word rebuild is not one that's used often there in Pittsburgh. Uh, but when you make a change like this one and you know, your future is a young quarterback, and a quarterback who's the veteran is not one that's been consistent with his play where he's gone, whether it's been uh, in Chicago or Buffalo. Um, you know, this is kind of, I think, a word that probably people don't want to hear, which is rebuilding. Yeah. You know, you got you got to figure out, one, what makes it, what makes these quarterbacks tick and which one is truly your future. Because um, Mitchell Trubisky may end up coming out of having – the type of career that his draft status shows says that he should have. Uh, but then Pickett, he may come in and and just and just light it up at some point in time, not knowing for sure where, because I've seen that he's gotten reps with the third team, uh, I think in OTAs at one point in time, and, and uh, you know, just getting reps to get his, get his feet wet with being a quarterback, you know, next door, right next door, and giving him a chance to, to take his time and develop. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's I'm, I'm interested like you are, to be honest. But if I had to put my finger on something to call it what it is, to, to give them that grace to develop and, and grow as a team, I think it's, it's a transitional state to a uh, moment to the point where it's, it's, uh, it, it's a rebuilding process. Because um, it's still a young team across the board. It's not a old team. I mean, you have your quarterback and Najee Harris in the backfield who's young. He's in his second year. They're going to ask him to carry it to help. And... Uh, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see to see, but Coach Tomlin he's done a phenomenal job since he's been a head coach there of going 500 worst case scenario every single year since he's been there as the head coach, and uh, you know barring injuries whether it's at the quarterback position or wherever it is he's found ways to make it happen and that's commendable for a coach um, and gotten himself an opportunity to win a Super Bowl and gone to one another one and lost so. 
um, it's going to be interesting, but I think it's going to be a transitional year to where it's going to be a re- rebuilding process. And knowing the Steelers with, with, with the way they know how to do things, they'll figure it out. And uh, they'll if they have to put all of them in the box to run the football. They'll do it. Uh, <laughs> but trust me, bro, they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. I think they have a, a strong enough team with Coach Mike Tomlin at the helm to to figure out what's best in that secondary of which I think it's Fitz, um, Fitzgerald, I think it's Fitzpatrick in the secondary. Oh, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fitzpatrick, I said it right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he he coming in and, and, and having his leadership skills. Um, I think he's going to lead the secondary uh, to the O-line with the veteran leadership they have up front and Najee and his one year of experience, which all-purpose yard leader on that football team. Um, and he's just got to stay healthy, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. but it's, it is what it is. 381 so, touches is a real, uh, real venture. If you're going to put your running back through yeah, that every year, yeah, you know, yeah, so it is, it is, it's, 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 it's a beating on the body. So again, that's why I alluded to the health. He's got to stay healthy. And if he can do that, uh, the black and gold will, will prevail. And, and, but they got a lot on, they got a lot, bro. They, they got Cincinnati. Yep. Who's coming back? You got Cleveland. Regardless of which quarterback, in my opinion, they put in there because that defense is really good, and the running game is outstanding. Um, to Baltimore, the, too. The, the, the Baltimore Ravens. You know, they, they they mess with Lamar if they want to when it comes to the media. Not paying them his money, they're gonna make him mad. <laughs> and, you know, you make him mad. You don't know what that guy's gonna do. So that that division in AFC North is gonna be really, really good and special. And, the Steelers going to have their hands. Would you ever want to do, uh, if you had to do all over again, I, mean, I don't know what your relationship was like with your agents. He's not doing it with an agent. Would you ever do that? Would you ever advise that? Najee Harris? No, no, no. Lamar. He's, he doesn't, he, he's. Oh, Jackson. Uh, I think his mom, I think I saw it at the beginning. His mom was, was involved with oh, okay. him. Okay. Uh, all right. As a, as a rookie, I thought I saw that allegedly. I use the word allegedly, but I thought I saw okay. that, um, you know, there are some there are some moving parts behind the scenes uh, that we as players are not privy to when it comes to dialogue that can allow what's on paper to be real and transparent sometimes. And I know from a dialogue standpoint, not being an agent, there's some things you do do and some things you don't do. Uh, to, to, to try to either make it happen the way you want it to or it's just going to happen. And for me, I can't talk about that man's money in his business because that's the way he's living his life. But it's been known that the success has come from having an agent in place unless you're a veteran and you've been doing this a very long time yeah. and you've had success over years with Super Bowls and good contracts and you know, knowing how to dot the I's and cross the T's. Um, I don't think just, just, you know, speaking from off the hip, he has that experience to, to have those talks that we aren't privy to behind the scenes to make it actually work. But if he's asking what he's asking for and he knows what he's talking about and he's in the right ballpark, because you don't have a Lamar Jackson on that football team, they don't go anywhere. Right. Yeah. Period. I don't care what anyone says. They don't go anywhere. They don't accomplish what they've accomplished. Him being the MVP of the league. Uh, I know the playoffs becomes a conversation for commentators, but shoot, how many? How long it took Peyton Manning to get past Tom Brady? Right. 
yeah. in the playoffs after putting up hellacious numbers during the regular season. It took him a very long time, more times in the conference championship game than it was the divisional championship game, which was right after the wild card game. So, you know, he that was his nemesis. He couldn't get past Tom Brady for many years, and he became the GOAT of the regular season. We So you got to give him his, his just due to – to say that it's not about winning just the playoffs. I mean, Kyler Murray. I mean, look what he's getting off of his deal. I mean, let's be real here. It's, it's, it's deserving of Lamar Jackson to get his deal before the actual regular season starts, or if they choose to do it three three games in. If he's patient enough to do that, so be it. But I think they need to pay the guy. Stop playing with him because he's the face of the franchise. And, you know, he's now the Ray Lewis on offense. Let's just say it that way. Okay, He's now the Ray Lewis on offense on that team. So give him his money let him play. On the Edge with Slash, Cordell Stewart. You can get it on the Believe platform. You can check it out on Spotify, iHeartRadio, also on Stitcher, and you can get it on Apple Podcasts as well. Cordell, how often are you recording the podcast? How often is the show being distributed? Whenever something good comes out that needs to be talked about, we're doing it. That's the that's the that's the part that I like, you know, being Slash. You know, you can get in and out and do whatever it is you need to do. Just give them a heads up and we talk about hot topics. So I'm looking at a minimum of, of, of putting in about three weeks, three, three shows, um, try to, and uh, I just want to make sure I'm on top of everything. Cause we're talking college football. We're talking NFL and we're talking golf, which is now my, my love of my life. Now, um, when it comes to what am I doing now? I raised my son, he's 19. So, you know, no pun intended when it comes to my baby, cause that is my baby and God, but, when it comes to things that I do now, golf has become that 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 profession that I really adore and love a lot. So I'll be talking that, um, you know, with this this live. Yes, yeah, you know, is Cordell Stewart going to wind up on the live tour? That's what I need to know now. Yeah, the live tour, all that. Hey, I tell you what, <laughs> if they pay the money, you, <laughs> it, that's what Deion Sanders must be the money. Uh, but I mean, come on, think about this for two seconds. Phil Mickelson gets two hundred million. There's alleged conversations that they offered Tiger Woods 700 to 800 million, almost a billion bucks to go over there. And then we got these other players that know through how you need to make money and the money as far as the purses, because the PGA championship is the only one that gives the biggest money, like 3.3 to 3.6 million bucks. Other than that, everything is that a number and less. When you go to the, the live tour, you're looking at if you win a tournament, you can get four million to four point five, and your team can win another five. So you split that up with four to five players. How much money is that for one tournament? And you're playing less yeah. throughout the year, and you're getting guaranteed money up front. Now I'm not sitting up here boobering on the PGA Tour because I love the PGA Tour. However, these guys got to make a living, so allow them the opportunity to make a living. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. Is what the PGA Tour is saying with the laws that are in place that were put together by the players, you can't go over here and be a part of this tour and then come back. You know, there's a lot of ink, fine print that's out there, Tim, that indicates that these guys want, won't have the opportunity to come back and play in tournaments like the FedEx Cup. But those who did win the majors may have opportunities to come back and be a part of those, like the Phil Mickelson's to the Dustin Johnson's of the world and, and you know, all those guys that are over there now. Um, they can uh, have the opportunity to do that. But that, that's what I'll be talking about on my show. Um, all the product swings, you know, I'm with Strixon. I'm an brand ambassador with Strixon. You know, I'm going to have that show, have them involved too as well. And uh, 
kind of get that thing going, man. You know, and have fun on my show. Best of luck to you, Cordell. I'm glad you're doing it. Do have fun with it, and hopefully we'll see you back here in Pittsburgh sometime soon, all right? You will. Be there soon. Yeah, so if you want to hear that whole interview with Cordell, I recommend it. Uh, We get into lots of other stuff about his time in Pittsburgh and how he embraced the Cordell slash Stewart role. And, uh, you know, some of the narrative that if he had been a quarterback from Jump Street, he never would have had the problems that he did in 98, 99, and 2000. Uh, Not according to Cordell. He looks at it a different way. He sees those problems being born from the fact that he had all those different offensive coordinators and Yancey Thigpen leaving and uh, not the fact that he was playing slash before. In fact, as you kind of heard there at the outset of the interview, he thought that helped him on the learning curve. And you still, by his own admission, he heard it, you still saw lots of interceptions and mistakes and things like that in the first halves of games in twenty, excuse me, 1997. But they were just a good enough team that year to overcome it and be 11-5 and five and uh, had home field in the AFC Championship game before losing to the Denver Broncos. All right, um, Cordell talked about golf, too, quite a bit there at the end of the podcast. Plenty to bet on when it comes to golf, if you are so inclined. The St. Jude taking place right now, so check out Bet Rivers for all the action you're going to need on that front as well. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. I believe Anthony Jaskulski will join us to talk preseason. Anthony loves betting on the preseason. Small college football Small college basketball in the preseason. Anthony's wheelhouse, no doubt about it. We'll talk to him about that next when we return on Friday here in the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.